stranger. And you invited me in. I was sick. And you looked after me. I needed a teacher. And you inspired me. I was lost. And you prayed for me. I was addicted. And you helped me break free. I needed a mentor. And you were there for me. I felt alone. And you showed me true community. You helped me experience the joy of worship. You made me feel welcome and safe. You gave me the strength to keep going. You led me to Jesus. Great statements in there about what the body of Christ does. Statements in there about leading someone to Christ. Statements in there about uh, praying with someone who was lost. Praying with someone who was hurting. And so there's statements in there to really, to kind of remind us, you know what, we all have a part. And so today we start a new series called uh, The Power of Everyone. You know, what if we all did our part? What if we all used our gifts? What if we all engaged the mission? And, And so as I... Listen to some of those statements that were made in that uh, bumper video, that intro video there. It reminds me that's what the church is. That's what the church does. And I think sometimes what we do is we get busy with life or with civic duties or other things, and we just get to the point where we're not doing those things that it just mentioned, and somebody's missing out. So today I want us to talk about the power of everyone. And so when we come together as the body of Christ, there's something powerful when we come together. There's, uh, there's, there's things that happen as the body of Christ. But here's the thing. We have also been commissioned to go and to tell others about Christ, to share the gospel, to make disciples. How cool to see all those go through the waters of baptism this morning. Let's give them another round of applause. Man, proud of them. That's a big deal. They're going public with their faith. They're letting everyone know. They've invited family and friends to be here and be a part of that. And they want them to celebrate that moment with them. And what they're doing is they're taking a step. And, you know, there's some of you that are probably sitting here that you have put your faith in Christ, but you have yet to take that step of obedience. And you're afraid of, you know, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to slip down the steps or, you know, I don't know if I'm ready for that. If you've accepted Christ, let me just tell you this, you're ready to go through the waters of baptism. It's not something you've got to figure out. It's a step of obedience. We're going to talk about obedience today. But there's other things that we often do that we will say, you know what, that's just a step I'm not ready to take yet. And oftentimes what we'll do is we'll, we'll gather, we'll come to a church service, but we don't really engage. We don't get involved. We don't get committed. We don't get connected. And that's one of the things that we're constantly trying to do. My, my job, it seems like, is to encourage people, to equip people, and prepare them for the works of ministry. But sometimes it's hard to get people to what? Take that step. Take that one step. And so, so I want us to kind of dig in a little bit today. Uh, and we're going to talk about a really incredible story and a character here. But uh, let's look at this. Talk about potential. 
potential having or showing the capacity to become or develop into something in the future. All right, now, now that means that, you know what, uh, you may have potential, and we'll talk about that sometimes with an athlete or a player or something like that, who says, man, he has incredible potential. What does that mean? That means he's not good yet, right? That means he's got, got, he, he's got some skills there. He's got some abilities, but he's not really what I would consider, you know, reached his potential. He's not maximized what he's been given. And, and so, like, if you're a baseball player, you'd say, well, he's a five-tool player. That means he's got everything. But just because he's had all five tools and does not mean that he's going to make it to the Hall of Fame one day. Whenever he reaches the Hall of Fame, we say he reached his potential. Some of them we'd even say he exceeded his potential. Does that make sense? And so there are times whenever we, we think about someone, we say, hey, they have great potential. What we're saying is they've got the skills, they've got the ability, they've got what it takes, but whether or not they can bring it together, that's, that's yet to be seen. And, and so what God has given... For everybody in this room that is a Christian, if you have put your faith in Christ, if you, you said, man, I want to ask Christ to come and live within me, and you, you, you realize, you know what, man, I'm a sinner, I, I'm in need of a Savior, uh, I have messed up, I have blown it, I'm greedy, I'm selfish, I'm jealous, I'm angry, I'm all these things, and you realize those sins have separated me from a holy God, and so God, I want to be, I want to be part of your family. And so by faith, and just like Chris said a while ago, childlike faith, we put our faith in Christ not, not because of anything that we do, but because of what he did on the cross. We believe that Jesus went to the cross, and he died, he bled out his precious blood to cover my sins. My sins, whatever they may be, however many they are, he covered them. And, and so the incredible thing is, is whenever we put our faith in Christ, we become a child of God. And here's the thing, we are given a spiritual gift, a spiritual endowment, if you will. So there's some of you in this room that if you have made that decision, you have put your faith in Christ... And we could start over here and we kind of work our way around. There would be people that have been given the gift of teaching. Then the Bible says if you have the gift of teaching, then teach. Some of you have been given the gift of mercy, then show mercy. Some of you have been given the gift of giving, then give and give generously. Some of you have been given the gift of leadership, then be a, a good leader and take it seriously. And so the Bible tells us and commands us and teaches us, hey, listen, whatever you've been given, use it for the kingdom of God. Use it to help build up the body of Christ. Use it to help spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So every person in this room that is a believer, if you're, if you're, and I would say that's probably most of the people in the room, hopefully, and if not, maybe some of you will give your life to Christ today, and you'll receive Christ. And when you receive Christ, the Bible says that he places within you the Holy Spirit, and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, and he also gives you a spiritual gift. And so you might say, well, Mike, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, we've got to figure out what that is. And, and God, God has a way of revealing that to you. And a lot of times it comes through confirmation of other people who see that you have a gift. Sometimes it's through the Word of God. But you've been given that gift. So here's the question. What are you doing with the gift? What are you doing to help make a difference in the body of Christ? What are you doing with your gift if you're a believer? Now, if you're not a believer, you're on the outside looking in. You're going, man, I wish I had a gift and you may have skills and you may have certain abilities, but you don't have a spiritual gift because you don't have the presence of God or the Spirit of God within you. And it is a spiritual gift. And, and so you might say, well, man, I want a spiritual gift. Then you have to take that first step, just that first step of putting your faith in Christ for salvation. When you do that, you receive the gift. So let's talk about a character here today that is pretty incredible. His name is Joshua. He's one of my favorite characters. Anybody know who Joshua is in the Bible? Raise your hand if you know who Joshua is. Right, raise it high. Everybody wear deodorant? Come on, man. Yeah, there you go. All right, so raise your hand if you know who Joshua is. He's one of the great leaders in the Bible. And uh, Joshua is going to be following Moses. Moses is one of the great leaders. 
that we see in Scripture. Moses led the nation of Israel on the Exodus. And, and so we see that Joshua was faithful. I mean, he was just a, a great guy. And so Joshua was like the second in command to Moses. And if we, most of us know uh, the story. I don't know if everybody here does, but the, there's a story where Moses sends in some spies to go and check out the land, check out the promised land. So God has promised them this land. He said, this is what I'm going to give to you. And uh, so he, he, they send in these spies, and two guys come back with a good report. Does anybody remember what their names were? Anybody want to guess? Joshua and Caleb. Those are the two names. Anybody remember what the other ten were? No, nobody names their kids the names of those other guys. They're losers, you know what I'm saying? So here's the thing. So Joshua and Caleb, you know, everybody knows those names. Those are famous names. Those are popular names. But they were men of great valor. They were men of great honor. They were incredible men. So Joshua was that guy. And, and so, so, so Moses is taken up on a mountain, Mount, Mount uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the mountain now, I think Nabal or whatever it is, but it takes him up on there. And so God says, uh, Moses, I want you to look out and you will not be able to inhabit the promised land. And it's because of something that Moses had done. He had gone against something that God had said. And so he said, you won't be able to be a part of it. Joshua will lead them in. But the cool thing is the Bible says that, that God, he buried he buried Moses. So nobody even knows where Moses is buried at. So God buried Moses. Even at 120 years of age, that's how old he was when he died, he still had great eyesight. Wouldn't that be awesome? And he had all of his strength. So at the age of 120, he could whip most of y'all, you know, to, to this day. So that's kind of cool. But God buried him, but he said, hey, you know what? You're going to hand it off. So the, so the torch had been handed to Joshua. So Joshua had been faithful throughout the service to Moses, and he wanted to honor the Lord. He trusted God. And he, he, even whenever they took the vote and everybody voted not to go into the promised land, he said, we can take them. God has given us this land. And so God is using Joshua to lead them in there. So I want to share with you a passage here. Because there's something really cool we're going to talk about today. Talk about the, the walls of Jericho coming down. And so in chapter 5, Joshua is, is leading them in. So we're going to jump ahead, then we're going to jump back. So you've got to kind of hang with me today. So the Lord, uh, Lord's commander confronts Joshua. So it says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? So the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Where we heard that before? At the burning bush. Moses goes in, and God has a conversation with him through a burning bush. And he says, Moses, take off your sandals, because where you're standing is holy ground. And so God is going to show the Israelites and Joshua, Hey, listen, I will be with you just like I was with Moses. I will be with you, I will go before you, I will do things just like I did with Moses. And so here, the commander of the Lord meets Joshua on the road. And if you read that one passage up there, it says that this Joshua fell to with his face to the ground in reverence. And so Joshua was one who, who I mean, he, he honored the Lord. And so the first statement there says Joshua desired to honor the Lord with his life. He desired to honor the Lord with his life. You know, and... and this was, this was a man who had seen God do many things, great things. He had walked through the Red Sea. He had seen the manna. He had seen the quail. He had seen the provisions of God. And so whenever the word was spoken, hey, I'm the, I'm the commander of the Lord's army, man, he hit the ground in reverence. And here's the thing. Let me ask you, in your own personal life, do you have an honor and a reverence for the Lord? Do you desire to honor the Lord? Is there a reverence, 
Or do you speak flippantly about the Lord? Or do you jokingly talk about the Lord? Or do you just kind of, hey, it's just one of those things where I just hope I get enough Jesus to get into heaven. You know, I, I, I can remember whenever I was lost and I was on the outside looking in, I can remember thinking, you know, man, I don't know if I want to live for God. I don't know if I really want to do all those things that these other people are doing. But, man, I don't want to go to hell. Who wants to go to hell? I mean, any idiot you would think would say, man, I would never want to go to hell. Not if you read the description. Not if you read what Jesus says about it. You would say, I don't want to go there. I would never want to go there. So I can remember just wanting, thinking, man, if I could just get enough Jesus to get in, man, I'd be good. You know, that, that's all I want, just enough Jesus to get in and be good. That's all I really needed, I thought. But the thing is, is God wanted my life. And, and whenever I walked that aisle that night, I can remember giving my life to Christ. I wasn't wanting to just get enough to get in. I wanted to give him my life. I was surrendering who I was to him. I was 19 years old. And I can remember realizing, man, I know that if I were to die right now, I would not go to heaven. I know that. And so, God, how do I become part of your family? How do I get in to your heaven? And so I walked down to the front, and the pastor said, hey, he goes, what are you coming forward for? I said, man, I don't really know. I just know I need Jesus. And so I give my life to Christ. And, man, I'm just telling you, it changed everything in me. And it wasn't about, hey, I just want enough to get in. I wanted all of it. I was like, Lord, I want all that you have for me. God, I want you to show me. I want you to teach me. I want you to equip me. I want you to, to use me for your purposes. And so everything changed. I thought I was just getting enough to get in. But what God wanted to do is he wanted to bless me way beyond what I could ever get my mind around. And so here, Joshua has this desire to honor the Lord with his life. Let me ask you, do you? Do you want to honor him with your life? Or do you just want enough to kind of get into heaven? Do you want enough Jesus to where that people, you can tell people, hey, I'm a Christian because I go to a church and I'm sitting there on Sundays? Or do you want all that he has for you? Or do you want, do you want to make a difference so that, so that other people will hear the gospel and one day put their faith in Christ? Do you want to be a part of something that's bigger than you? And, and that's, that's what Joshua was saying. Hey, listen, Lord, I want to honor you. I want to give you my life. So he lays down and pretty much says, hey, I'm a servant. What would you have your servant do? You know, too often what we do is we negotiate with God. There are times whenever God may put it on your heart, he says, hey, listen, I want you to bless that waiter or that waitress with a $10 tip or a $20 tip. And you're going, man, the service wasn't that good. You know, that's what we do. We start negotiating with God. But he didn't negotiate. He didn't sit here and say, are you sure about that? I mean, he fell to his face. I mean, he got on his face before the Lord and said, hey, what would you have your servant do? What if we all had that, that mentality? We, I mean, we, we were willing to honor him. I mean, we were willing to just step in. And so the next statement says, Joshua desired to be obedient without hesitation. He desired to be obedient. He desired to be obedient. I mean, do you desire to be obedient? God tells you, hey, listen, I want you to go on a mission trip. You start negotiating and say, hey, I don't like, I'm not leaving the country. I didn't heard too much bad stuff about Mexico and Brazil and Africa and and it's too dangerous over there. But if God is telling you to go, why would you not say, God, if you want me to go, I'm going. Instead, what we do is, I can't afford that. That's too much. God owns cattle on a thousand hills. Can't he afford to get you there? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if he's saying go, why don't we just say, Lord, here I am. I'm your servant. Let me go. God said, hey, listen, I want you to go feed, you know, somebody down the road. I want you to go take a meal down there to them. You know, I don't, I don't know if they even like me. And we start negotiating. And so there, we have lots of hesitation. But Joshua had none. He desired obedience. He desired to be obedient without hesitation. Now, which category would you fall into? The one who's always negotiating with God? You know, I mean, we, we know that there's times whenever God's going to ask us to do things that don't always make sense. We're going to talk about that today. But here's the thing is he always blesses. He's faithful. So here's the next. Had seen, Joshua had seen generations of disobedience. 
Joshua had seen generations of it. He'd watched a whole generation die off because they were not obedient to trust God. He'd watched them, you know, fuss and whine about, hey, Lord, we're tired of eating this manna. You know, back in Egypt, we had this kind of food. And, you know, so they were complaining. So he'd watched disobedience. He'd watched them not trust God. And so here's the thing. He said, you know what? I know what it looks like to be obedient. I know what it looks like to be disobedient. And maybe there are some of you in here, you, you know people that... You know people that are walking with the Lord. You know people that are honoring God with their life. And you see the blessings in their life. You see the joy in their life. You see the passion in their life. And you go, man, I want that. But we can also look over to another side. We may say, all right, here's a group of people that, man, they don't, they're not obedient. They're not living for God. You know, I mean, they're just kind of going through the motions. And, man, they're always whining and complaining. And, and so whenever you get to look at that, it's easy to go, you know what, man, I want what these people have. And so Joshua had seen those who were obedient those who were filled with joy, those who loved the Lord. And he'd also seen those that didn't trust him. God is faithful. And so Joshua had seen generations of disobedience. He, he was one of the spies that went in. Then the next one says Joshua had just, had, uh, had just seen God stop a flooding river. And so this is where we're going to back up. So we jumped up to chapter 5 because I wanted you guys to see what the, you know, where he met with the commander of the Lord's army. But here we're going to back up to chapter 3. And so, understand this. So, God has told Joshua, hey, you're leading the people into the, the, the promised land. But that when, they get to, when they get there, they're, they're camped by the river. The river is at flood stage. I mean, it's flood stage. It's overflowing the banks. And so, it's harvest season, and, and it's, it's just it's flooding. And, and he says, you're going to march across that river on dry ground. And so, let's pick up here. In Joshua 3, verse 7, it says, the Lord told Joshua, today... I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. So in Joshua chapter 3 verse 7 there, he said, hey, listen, Joshua, I want you to trust me. Today I'm going to do something incredible. And so Joshua tells the people, hey, listen, all of you guys go out and purify yourselves. In other words, get your heart right. Make sure you're ready for this because God is going to perform wonders. He's going to do incredible things today. And so he tells the people, so what does he do? He believes what God says. He believes what God says. He says, hey, listen, you guys go ahead and get ready because God's fixing to do some great things. And I want you to be a part of this, but we've got to make sure that we're ready, we're prepared for this. And look at what it says in Joshua 3, verses 15 through 16. It says that it was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began to backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. And so here's, here's what the Lord told him to do. He said, hey, listen, I want you to get the Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to get the priest to carry it. And that Ark of the Covenant was a representation or a symbolic thing of the presence of God. And he said, so whenever they come by, I want you to tell the people to fall in behind the Ark of the Covenant about a half a mile or so because they couldn't get too close to it. So I want you to stay back about a half a mile, and whenever they step into the water, the water is going to begin to stop. So this flooding river is fixing to back up. And so think about how impressive that was in that day, and it still would be today. And so as they begin to step into the water and they begin to walk out to the middle, the river begins to back up. You know, and we wonder, hey, what would that look like? Would it begin to get taller and taller and taller? You know, would the, would the water just start kind of backing up like a lake? What, I mean, what was happening? And, and so the thing is, is it says that they would cross over. And understand it's just the fighting men. Just the fighting men were 40,000 men. Just the fighting men. And they would cross over not on muddy land, but on dry land. 
Just like with the, with, with the, the parting of the Red Sea, they would literally cross over on dry land. And so as they're going across there and they're taking all these thousands upon thousands of people, these priests are standing there with the Ark of the Covenant and the river's just backed up. And then look at the statement here. It says, Joshua took the time to honor what God had done. So Joshua took the time. He was following the commands of the Lord. And so Joshua took the time to honor what God had done. It's kind of what we did last, last weekend. We took a moment to celebrate what God had done over the last 15 years. We wanted to honor the Lord. We wanted to honor his faithfulness. And I appreciate you guys honoring Laurie and I and blessing us with the gift. That was, that was generous and it was sweet. We appreciate that. And, uh, and, and man, we, we just loved last week. It was an awesome experience. And so we thank you guys for that gift. But, but look at what happened here. It says, uh, he says, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel. And so what happened was, was God told Joshua, he said, hey, listen, I want you to take 12 guys, and I want you to go in, and I want you to pick up 12 stones, and you're going to carry this to where you're going to camp tonight, and you're going to build a memorial. And that's what he's talking about. That will be a memorial to the people that are coming. But Joshua went another step, too. He did something kind of almost personal, it seemed, but he went to where the Ark of the Covenant was in the middle of the river, and he took, 12, he took stones, and he built a memorial there as well. And it says that it's still there to this day in the middle of that river. So he built a memorial there. They went to the encampment where they were going to camp, and he built a memorial there. He took the time to honor the Lord again, to say, hey, look at what God has done. And so I would just say this in your life. Do you ever take moments to say, hey, let's look and see what God has done? You know what baptism is? The outward expression of an inward change? Baptism is not what saves you. But you know what? It's, saying, it's taking a moment and it's marking that moment and saying, hey, I was dead in my sins. I asked Christ to come into my life. He has saved me. He has raised me to newness. He's raised me to a new life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. It doesn't matter if they're six years old or 60 years old. It is an outward expression of an inward change. And what they're doing is they're marking that moment. And if you're sitting here and you've never followed Christ in believers' baptism, he's telling you to honor him with baptism. To honor him with baptism. To go public. To let everybody know, you know what? Christ lives within me. I have been saved. I have been changed. I have been transformed. But if you haven't, then take that step. And we'll talk about it at the end, but that's one of the greatest ways you can honor him is to receive his son, Jesus Christ. Now, let's talk about the fall of Jericho. We've got to move quick. The fall of Jericho. So, so, so now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut up because the people were afraid of the Israelites. Why were they afraid of the Israelites? Anybody know? Because they just saw the river that was in flood stage stop flowing and thousands of people walked across on dry land that would freak me out you know i mean i would be like dude we don't want to deal with these people their god literally is able to stop the river from flowing a flooding river they're able to stop it we don't have a chance i'm sure they were thinking man we don't have a chance so they were shut up tight no one was allowed to go in or out it says but the lord said to joshua i have given you jericho it's king and all its strong warriors you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. And when you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave uh, orders to the, the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the Ark of the Lord. 
And after Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horn horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priest in, with the horns and some behind the ark. With the priest continually blowing the horns, do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Um, not a single word from any of you until I, I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the, Lord, so the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. So God has given Joshua this battle plan that some people would go like, what in the world are they doing? So here's the thing is, the, people, the, the, this, the city is, is kind of closed up. It's got walls up, they've got gates up, and, and it's kind of like a fortress. And so they're inside of it, they're already afraid because they've already seen this river stop. And then all of a sudden, just can you imagine that here comes this, this army of thousands and thousands of men marching by, not saying a word, not, not, not saying a word, not talking. I mean, can you imagine getting people to talk like that, not talk like that? And, and so that was a miracle in itself. And so anyway, so they're walking by, they're not talking, and then all of a sudden they hear these horns. Can you imagine what those horns would sound like? That's all you hear. You don't know what's going to happen. They're blowing ram's horns. You don't know what's going on. And so that's, that's happening. So they're hearing that, but they're not hearing the people talk. They hear the trampling of feet. They hear the marching of soldiers. And so they're probably in there just trembling in fear, going like, what is going to happen? You know, what is our enemy doing? And so God, had, again, he had gone before them. He's preparing. And so look at this. It says, on the second day, they began, they, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. And so just think about that moment. So they shout, and these walls begin to crumble. They come down. You know, and, and so it's, it doesn't make sense to some people. It seems like a crazy military mentality. I mean, for some of you guys who maybe you're in the military, you think about this, you know, this is probably a pretty good-sized city, so they're marching around it. So how far is it around it? We don't know. And so as they're marching around the city, you know, number one, you, you've got your guys out there. You're saying, hey, today is the day of battle. So you would think, hey, we probably need to be rested up. We probably need to be ready. But instead, hey, listen, we're going to march around it seven times. We're going to blow horns. We're going we're gonna to shout, and then the walls are going to come down. Then we're going in for battle. And so it maybe didn't even make sense from a military standpoint. We need our people rested. We need to be ready for this. But look at a couple of things. Number one, God had promised them. As we said last week, God is faithful. God had promised them, hey, listen, I will go before you. I'll fight your battles. I'll give you victory. And so here's the great thing is this group of people believed. The generation before didn't believe. And so I would say to this generation, do we believe that God can go before us? Do we believe that God can tear down barriers and, and allow us to impact and to influence our community? I, I told some young people the other day when Saran and Stacey were here, he and I were talking to a couple of young people and said, you know what, we need young leaders to step up and lead. Because a lot of this generation has dropped the ball. You know, and we have let the church get beat down, get pushed back. And what we need is we need young leaders who will step up, who walk by faith, believe in the Word of God, and know that the power of God is going to go before them. We need young leaders to step up and lead and, and make a difference. And to say, you know what, I believe in the power of God. I believe in the Word of God. I believe in the gospel. 
And I believe it's the power to save men. And so we need leaders like that. And so God has promised them, hey, I'm going to give you this, this victory. And here's the great thing. They believed. So I would ask you, do you believe? Do you believe that God can give us our community? Or are we going to sit back and just complain about it? Or are we going to make a difference? Are we going to go, you know what? We can go out and make a difference. We've got to believe. God promised them. God has promised us, hey, if we will humble ourselves and pray that he will heal our land. Do we believe that? Or do we just think, you know, it's just only going to get worse. You know, you negative Nancy, and you're the pessimist. You're always, hey, it's only going to get worse. But the thing is, is we can make a difference here. And we should make a difference here. And we should care enough to do something. You know, we, we should all say, you know what, God, what is, what is my part of that? So here's the thing. God had gone before them. He struck fear in the hearts of their enemy. That, that ram's horn blowing had scared them. We talked about this earlier. You know, just the, the, the praise scene coming out. You know, God uses music to sometimes usher in his very presence. In our, in our own personal worship times, we'll listen to music. And as we prepare our hearts for what God wants to say to us, what God wants to do in our life, what he wants to teach us at that moment. And, and so God has used music, and he has used his, the, the instruments to literally usher in the very presence of God. So with this one, the ram's horns are going around, and they're saying, hey, the presence of God is coming in. The presence of God is coming in. And so with our, our worship team, all these different instruments having to work together to create a sound that says, you know what, God, we want to we give you a joyful noise. We want to lift up our voices to you. And here's the thing, whenever we, as the body of Christ, begin to worship in truth and in spirit, it's powerful. Not just to the God who hears us and knows our hearts, but to the people who are sitting beside you who maybe don't even know him yet. And we prayed this from the very beginning of Journey Church, that, you know what, our worship would be so powerful and the presence of God would be so real that people would walk in and realize that they were undone and in need of a Savior. You are a part of that. How you worship are part of the witness of our church. How we, how we pour out our hearts before a holy God. And so God had gone before them. He had struck fear in the hearts of the enemy. Here's another thing. Everyone had their part. Everyone had their part. And they were part of something bigger than just them, bigger than just their, their, their little part. I mean, think about it. Hey, your job is to walk around and blow ram's horns. Hey, your job is just to walk in front of the ark. Your job is to walk in the back of it. But all of you need to walk. All of you need to march around. All of you need to have a part in that. Hey, but listen, no talking. You know, no talking. Don't say a word. And the only part you're going to have is you're going to walk around the, the city for, for six days. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. Here's the other thing. You're going to all shout. You're going to all have a part. So everyone had their part. And so let me ask you. I said this last week. What if everybody in here, we started over here on this corner. We begin to say, hey, listen, every one of you begin to ask someone to come with you next Sunday for church. And we come all the way across over here to this other end. We say, hey, listen, every one of you, I want you to ask someone to come to church. Somebody that does not know Christ. I don't want you asking somebody that goes to church already. That's real easy to do. That's not who we're after. We're after those who are unchurched, unsaved, those who are disconnected from God, those who are far from God, those who have given up on church. And so what if every one of you invited someone, brought someone with you? We wouldn't have room in this building right now. We wouldn't have room in this room for them, I don't think. Think about that. And what if they came and they heard the gospel? And what if they put their faith in Christ for salvation? And what if you had the opportunity to go up and stand in that baptistry and be able to baptize them and say, this is my friend that I reached out to. He came, he heard the gospel, and I had the privilege of baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what that is? That's the Great Commission. So what if every one of us did that? 
we'd be doing our part. That's what we'd be doing. What if every one of us walked out of here this week and we shared the gospel, the good news with someone who was far from God? We'd be doing our part. What if every one of us had that mentality? So you know what? It's not just for a few. It's not for a few. It's for me. What if everybody, every one of us did our part? Let me just tell you, I believe this is what would happen. I believe there would be walls in our communities that begin to come down. There'd be walls that are, are barriers that are keeping the gospel from going forward begin to come down. If the church, if the body of Christ would do its part. God's done his part. God's going to do his part. He's faithful. We're the ones that's not, not always faithful. And so everyone had their part. Look at the next thing. It says everyone contributed. Everyone contributed. They believed in what they were doing. They gave to it. They, they gave of themselves. Everyone contributed. So here's the thing. There's some of you, you know what your part is. You know that you have the gift of teaching. You know that you have the gift of service. You know you have the gift of hospitality. You know what your part is, but you don't contribute. You sit on it. You waste it. And you think, well, you know, that Mike, they don't, you know, you just don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but God knows your heart. God knows what your gift is. And so God wants to use you to make a difference, to help build up the body of Christ. And that's the job of every believer is to help build up the body of Christ. So that means that the body of Christ is growing. That means that the lost are being saved. That means that the church, the church international, if you will, the church global, you know, God's church is literally growing. And it should be growing. And, and so what we ought to be doing is say, hey, listen, how can I help and how can I contribute in a way that the gospel goes forward, that the mission is being fulfilled, and that lost people are being saved and that they're being made into disciples of Jesus Christ. So what is your part? It's to share the gospel. It's to make disciples. It's to give. It's to sacrifice. And so everyone contributed. Here's, here's the last statement. It says, sometimes God asks us or has us to do things that don't make sense. God asks us or he has us to do things that don't make sense. What about pray for your enemy? That don't make sense, does it? You guys that are in the military, you're going, that's a tough one. I'm going overseas, I'm going over to the sandbox, and I'm over there, and I'm having to deal with guys that want me to die. They want all Christians to die, and you're telling me I've got to pray for them. Yeah, we pray that God will change their heart, that he'll save their soul. You know, and, and listen, we understand that they're corrupt, they're evil, they're wicked at this point, but they have, been bought, they have bought into the lies of the evil one. And so, if anything, we as believers, we begin to pray for them. Some, hey, some of the criminals here in our city, the men that are selling drugs, you know, you, you know, one of the things we ought to do is we ought to pray for the drug dealers, pray that God would get a hold of their heart, that he would change their heart instead of them peddling drugs. Man, maybe they would come to the point of realizing, you know what, man, I have been trying to fill this void inside of me with money or with stuff or whatever, and I realize, you know what, it is only not, not only killing me, it's killing the people around me. Man, I want something that's going to make a difference in the lives of people. And how many times throughout... The, the church, the history of the church, have we seen people who were drug dealers and, man, they were caught up in all this junk that they end up giving their life to Christ. And you know what? They became a light in a dark world. Pastor Dwayne Remberts, a great picture of that. If he told you all of his testimony, he used to be the one that would hold the drugs and he was there with the guys. But, man, he is a light in Montgomery right now. And so what, here's the thing is what we ought to be doing is praying for those people Praying for them. And it doesn't make sense. March around this, this, this city. March around the city. Blow on these horns. Don't say a word. Doesn't make sense. You know, march around. Hey, listen, these walls are going to come down when you guys shout. That's crazy. But God asks us to do crazy things sometimes. He tells us, hey, listen, I want you to take 10% of your income and I want you to return it to me because it's not yours. To tithe. And I know some of y'all are going, man, I knew he was going to talk about tithing. 
That's crazy, right? But here's the thing is, God tells us, he said, hey, return the tithe. It's not yours, it's mine. And I, and I know we've got our reasons. We say, well, Mike, you just don't know my income. I don't. God does. He knows your heart. But the thing is, is he says to return a tithe. Why does God need your money? He doesn't need your money. You need to tithe so that you can see the hand of God and the blessings that God poured out in your life. And here's the thing. You need to also see, you know what? I trust God completely. And what God will do, he says he will throw up in the floodgates of heaven. God doesn't need your money. I used to tell people all the time, the church doesn't need your money. You know, what God, what, what God needs and what God desires is your heart. If he's got your heart, he's got everything. And so what we do is we worry about our money. We're like we're protecting it from God. He already has it. It's his. All he says is, hey, return it because you need to let it go. You need to let it go. Because here's the thing, it becomes your God. Your money becomes your God. And you've got to be willing to say, I've got to let this go. I've got to be willing to return it and not be a thief, but be a blessing. And so when we return the tithe, we're doing something that doesn't even make sense. I tell people all the time, it's God math. It doesn't make sense. What about to give sacrificially? Some, some of you say, hey, well, listen, I'm tithing. But the Bible says to give sacrificially as well. And you're like, what, what, what does that mean? That means to give till it hurts. You might say, well, I'm tithing, so I'm good. No, there's times whenever God calls us to give sacrificially. And to give sacrificially is not going, hey, well, that doesn't hurt me. You know, it, it should bother you. It should hurt you. Like, I mean, when you're putting it in, go, man, I had, I had plans for that money. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it should bother you. And so what God calls us to do sometimes does not make sense. But look at what it says in, in Joshua uh, 6.20. It says, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They took the city. They impacted, man. They, they took the city. And so whenever we look at that, we realize, you know what, man? It's, it's what God can do when we all come together. And let me just say this. God doesn't need me, but he wants me to be a part of his kingdom. He wants me to be a part of what he's doing. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you either. But he wants you to be a part of what he's doing. And here's the thing is, you need him. And you need to be a part of what he's doing. Because here's the thing, it will give you purpose. It'll give you passion. And you'll realize, you know what, the most important things in life are not the things that the world say that are so important. It's what God says is most important. A couple quick things will be done. It says, when they all shouted together, the wall came down. Everybody had a part. Everybody did their, their part. And, and so... Whenever they all shouted together. So think about that. You know, all thousands and thousands of them began to shout. You know, and everybody wonders, hey, well, what happened? Was it, was it the, uh, you know, was it the audible noise or whatever? Is that what brought them down? No, it was the power of God that brought the walls down. There ain't nothing to figure out. Now, God can use science if he wants to. God just stopped the river. How did he stop the river? It doesn't say that a strong wind came from the south and pushed it back north. It just says that God stopped the river. And so God can do whatever he wants to do. He's that powerful of a God. That's all the more reason that we ought to honor him. And revere him and literally fall down in reverence of him. Not just making fun or taking jokes. But if anything, there was power when it came together. And so that's the next one there. There's power in unity. There's great power in unity. You know, we talk about a laser. A laser, you know, can, can cut things. You know, it can cut through steel. It can melt things. There's all kinds of dangerous and crazy things that a laser can do. But... What that is, that's diffused light that has come together. It's been concentrated, and there's incredible unity with that. Jesus prayed that we would be one. He prayed for unity. You know what, what, you know what Satan loves? And I, and I know you guys understand this, but Satan loves it whenever we're not unified. Because when we're not unified, we're kind of everywhere. I think every military person would understand that. Hey, if everybody's not on the same mission, if everybody's not moving in the same direction, there's going to be problems. 
And I'm just telling you, what Satan loves is the church to not be unified, not be together, but to have factions and division. Paul speaks about it over and over and over. You know, he says, hey, listen, address it, deal with it, don't allow that. And so it's important for us to understand that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, Lord, Father, let them be one as we are one. He's wanting us to be unified. There's power in that. Any guys guys in here have a phone? Anybody use a phone here? Got a cell phone on you? Okay, we got a few. Anybody over here got a phone? Raise your hand if you got a phone. All right, if you don't mind, just get your phone out. I want to, you got it with you? Yeah, good. Anybody right here got a phone? Anybody? I know y'all got a phone. Don't be lying, man. I mean, come on, you're in church. All right, so you got, get your phone out. Anybody else right here got a phone? I saw you raise your hand. You got a phone? All right, take it out. You got a phone over here? Right here, you got a phone. All right, John's got one. All right, so there's, there's something powerful about unity. And you guys may have seen this, but in just a few seconds, we're going to cut the lights out. And we're going to let these four people, when I tell them to, I'm going to tell them to turn their flashlight on their phone on. And I want you to see the effect of that. So, and, and I'm going to count it down, so don't get scared. If you're scared of the dark, it's okay. It's okay. All right, so I'm going to count it down. Three, two, one. All right, so if you will, turn your lights on, those four. All right, so these four. Y'all see how much light that puts out? Now, I want to ask everybody in the room that's got a phone Pull out your phone and turn your flashlight on. Everybody that's got a phone. We're going to assume the ones that don't have a phone, they aren't saved. <laughs> so how well can you see? Can you see a difference? Can you see, can you see me? <clears throat> My voice is about to go. I'm, I'm battling the cold. So can you, but you see how much light is in the room when everybody does their part? So we would, and jokingly, but I would say those of you that don't have a phone with you, or maybe you don't, you know, maybe you got a flip phone, doesn't have a flashlight, I don't know. But, uh, but here's the thing is, you're not able to participate, and so you're not part of that light. But here's the thing, one or two strategically placed throughout here doesn't have the impact of everybody. All right, let's bring the lights back up. Those, those four people put out some light, didn't they? But it wasn't quite the same, and it wasn't quite the same impact as it was when everybody was doing their part. So when everybody does their part, the church is a lot brighter light, and we're called to be a light in the darkness. We're called to be the light, to literally share the light of the world. We are to be the light of the world. That Jesus within us shines in such a way that the people around us cannot deny there's something different about them. And, and so there's power in unity. Jesus prayed for it. Satan hates it. And so we've got to be willing to say, you know what, God, help me to be on mission. God, help me to get on board. Help me to do my part. That's the last one there. It says the power. There's power when we come together as the body of Christ. When we come together and we worship in truth and in spirit, there's power in this room. I don't know if you guys realize that. But there's the power and the presence of God in this place. There are times whenever I'm saying they're worshiping that I literally get overwhelmed. I mean, I, I get to the point where I'm going, I don't know if I'm going to get, get up and preach. And, and teach today. And there's power and there's presence in his, when his presence is here. Now, here's the thing. We don't have to be here to experience that. We can be, I can be in my car. I can be anywhere. God goes, he, he, I mean, he's placed his, his spirit within me. So wherever I'm going, the presence of God is there. But there's something powerful when we come together. We do a serve day. Think about the impact we could have if everybody in this room showed up instead of a handful. Again, think back to what if everybody in here reaches out to one person that does not know Christ this week, and they bring them back next week. They hear the gospel. They put their faith in Christ. 
I don't know if you can do the math on this, but the church doubles in size in one day just in this local expression of the body of Christ. Church doubles in size in one day if everybody does their part. Next steps. And so the next steps, it says, uh, Today I choose to honor God with my life by accepting Jesus Christ for sal- for faith, uh, by faith for salvation. And so here, here's, here's what I want to say to you. If your desire is to honor God, then here, honor, honor Him by using your life, by giving your life, by using your gifts and your abilities. But there's some of you in this room that you've never put your faith in Christ. You've never, you've never nailed down your salvation. You might think, man, I don't want to go to hell. Uh, but, man, I don't want just enough Jesus to get in. I, I want more than that. Well, I'm just telling you, that's where I was at. But maybe you're here today and you realize, you know what, man, I, I want to be saved. I want to know that Christ lives within me. The Bible has said, I've told you these things that you might know that you are saved. The Bible even says, God, whom God holds in his hand, no one can snatch away. And so I want you to be able to walk out of here today, you know, knowing, man, that Christ lives within me, that I am his child. I am his child. There may be some of you that came here today to see somebody get baptized, and maybe it was a child. That childlike faith is what it takes to be saved. That childlike faith is what it takes. It is faith that is not works. It's not deeds. It's not by me being good enough. I'll never be good enough. But it's me putting my faith in what Christ has done on the cross. That Jesus went to the cross. He bled out his precious blood. He covered my sins. He had the power to overcome death, the grave, hell. He, he conquered it all. And he offers to me eternal life. And he offers it to every one of you. And so maybe today, the one thing you could do is you could honor God by choosing to accept his precious son as your savior. No greater way to honor him than that. The last one there, it says, Today I choose to, to do my part and give the Lord my best, not my leftovers. I choose to give him my life. I choose to give him everything. I want to ask you, if you will, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and just for a second, just ask God, say, God, what is it you want me to do today? There may be some of you in this room that you know, you know if I were to breathe my last breath right now, I don't, I don't know if I'd go to heaven. Man, I want to know. I want to know that Christ lives within me. I want to know that I'm saved. I want to know that I'm his child. I want to know. I want to know. Let me tell you how you can know that. Let me tell you how you can put your faith in Christ for salvation. It's a prayer of your heart. It's not necessarily the prayer of your mouth, even though we're to confess him with our mouth. The Bible says it's when we surrender our heart. So, I want to lead you through a simple prayer. And this could be your prayer. You can pray it right there where you're at. You say, Jesus, I want to ask you to come into my heart. Jesus, I want to ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. I confess to you that I am a sinner. I have struggled with different sins, whether it be jealousy, greed, anger, resentment, bitterness, hatred, lying, whatever it might be. Jesus, I'm confessing that to you right now. And just go ahead and confess it. Say, Jesus, this is the sin in my life. I confess to you. By confessing it, he says he is faithful and just and he will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And then also the Bible says that we are to turn from that sin, that's repentance, and to turn to him. And say, Jesus, with all that's in me, I'm turning to you. I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to live for you. I need your spirit within me. I need your power. Jesus, will you come in and will you save me? And I can go ahead and tell you his answer is yes. So the only way that you do that is by faith. So just say, Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I confess my sins, I repent of my sins, and I ask you to come and be my Lord and be my Savior. There's no greater honor that you could show God than to receive His Son, Jesus. 
If you just prayed that prayer, I just want you to, if you would, raise your hand and just say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer. Anybody in the room? Just say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer. I see your hand over here. Anybody else? I see your hand right back here. I see your hand back here. I see your hand. Anybody else? Over this way. I see your hand back here on the back. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Just say, hey, listen, I just asked Christ to come into my life. I just prayed that prayer of salvation. Awesome. Let me just tell you, those of you that just raised your hand for salvation, that's the reason this church was planted, was to reach you with the good news, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to walk with you. You're not on the journey by yourself. We want to walk with you. We want to put a Bible in your hand. We want to help you grow in your faith. And the, the next part of the Great Commission is not just the salvation, but it's to make disciples. And so if you would, I want you to indicate on the back of the card that is there in front of you today, I want you to indicate, hey, I put my faith in Christ for salvation day. And we want to meet with you. We want to talk with you and help take the next steps. We want to see you go through the waters of baptism next month. That's the next step of obedience. There's plenty of Christians in this room. There's a lot of people that put their faith in Christ. And man, praise God for that. But there's a lot of Christians in this room. Let me ask you, are you doing your part? Are you serving? Are you giving? Are you tithing? Are you witnessing? Are you sharing? Are you reading God's Word? Are you doing your part? You don't do it to be saved. You do it because you have been saved. And you do it because you want to honor God. You do it because you want to honor Him. And hopefully, you'll be obedient without hesitation and look for every possible way to honor Him. Father, I thank You for today. And God, I thank you for these many hands that just went up that have put their faith in you for salvation. God, I thank you for the gospel, the good news. And God, I thank you that we have the privilege as the church to walk with them. Father, to baptize them, to celebrate their life being changed and transformed by the power of God. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that we get to be a part of that. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we are not done, that God, we are just beginning in so many ways. And so, Father, I pray that you'd fill this place with your power every time we gather. And, Father, that you would empower us as we leave here to go and be your witnesses throughout our community, all the way to the ends of the earth. God, use us for your purposes. And, Father, I pray that we would see that there is great power when every one of us come together and do our part. In Jesus' name, amen.